Mehirangi ka paruhi i te waru tōrite, me te rerera koe te ngākau mōai. Hei hau tuki pōho karui i te mato o te tau, ko tie iho ko te hikuai o te tau. Kua paka noa a tama tu hoehoe ki runga, he kiri kōwhai, ka kiri kōtea, ka pōrehu. Jennifer Ward Leland, reading a translation of Shakespeare's famous Sonnet 18, Shall I Compare Thee to a Summer's Day. Jennifer has a 30-year career in theatre, film and television. She's an officer of the New Zealand Order of Merit for services to theatre in the community. She's the current president of Equity New Zealand. Her desire to be fluent in te reo Māori is a decade-long journey that goes back to early exposure to the language as a child growing up in Wellington. I was always enchanted by the sound of the Māori language. I've always loved the sound of it. And I just knew that there was... It wasn't a when... If I was going to learn it, it was when was I going to learn it. And at 46, that's when I went, come on, don't muck around, <laughs> you know, not getting any younger, and took myself off to Kurapo at um, Unitech, Te Wānanga o, o Wairaka. O Wairaka. Um, and uh, started uh, one night a week at a Kurapo in Reo Tahi, the first class. So this was like a night school, um, yes. something that you committed Indeed. to? six till nine every Monday night. Because uh, at that time, and for a lot of my life, I worked six nights a week in the theatre. And that was only that was the only night I ever had off. So um, I went, well, if, you know, if I can't do one night a week, you know, what's wrong with me? So I did that for a number of years, So which is a, it's a slow way to learn. It's not the ideal way to learn. In fact, it's impossible really to get fluent and in that way. However, I learned things there that I will never forget and I'm truly grateful to my wonderful teachers. Just the whole ritual of starting the evening that we would all come together, there'd be a karaki and a himine and a waiata and a mihi and you know, that that beautiful sense of formality which I really love. I think I think we have a similar sense of formality in the theatre at times. But really, by two thousand end of two thousand and eleven, I was thinking, well, you know, you're just going to still be unable to string a conversation together if you don't do something, you know, make more of an effort. So that's when I did a half time course at Te Wānanga o Aotearoa called Te Arataki Manukōrero, which again was um, involved a lot of learning about tikanga, understanding Te Ao Māori, and after that, I went into gave myself the biggest challenge, biggest kick up the pants, which was going to um, back to Te Wānanga to study a course called Te Au Pikitanga, Ki Te Reo Kairangi. And I spent a year there doing four days a week. Take me back to that first initiative, though, uh, Jennifer. I mean, you're busy, you have family and all those mm-hmm. things. Um, what what was the, the initial um, kick uh, that got you um, into the door of that night class? I felt that to be truly a citizen of this country, I felt that I needed to know more about it, that I needed to have a deeper experience of being a citizen of this country. And all around us are stories 
of Māori history, everywhere that we, we look and every sign we see. And I wanted to understand that more. I wanted to feel better in my own skin in this country and not feel that I'd be sitting there ignorant as to what was being said when there was um, an opening of something or a, a mihi at a special occasion or something. I wanted to understand. I didn't want to sit outside. Was there a particular incident that you went to? No, or... I think it was a build. It built up. I think I'd been feeling it very strongly for the for the few years before. Just going, this is crazy that these words sit really nicely in my mouth, but I don't know enough of them. And um, really just got to the point where I actually had to follow my heart. Take me to the, the immersion. What's that like? Well, I would say it was a challenge every day. Um, sometimes I'd be going home and I'm thinking, oh, what am, what am I doing? I, you know, straining to understand things, straining to articulate things. But there is nothing like sitting in the language every day. Nothing like it to feel comfortable in that kind of environment. Often you're researching something for the particular topic of that month or of that you know, section. You're, you're researching in Te Reo Pākehā and then you're translating into Māori and then presenting it to the class. So that's not easy. Also, the other thing, it was my first university ever. I've never been to university so that was going to Te Wānanga Wāotearoa was my first ever formal tertiary education. So I was learning how to learn as well. So this was you uh, four days a week uh, yes. with what, what kinds of other people? Um, Māori? Primary? Mostly there were only um, just myself and my friend Joe. We're the only Pākehā. What's the reaction when a Pākehā, a well-known Pākehā woman, rolls into a, an environment like this? Um, I didn't notice any particular reaction, except other than being a very welcoming environment. I've always found that. You know, a school is where you, you should be allowed to fail and get things wrong, because if you don't get them wrong, how are you ever going to get them right? I don't know, I'm kind of that sort of person that once I decide to do something, I'm going to do it, and I'm going to do it as best as I possibly can. In my community, I've had nothing but... Um, sort of kind of good on yous and I want to and I, and because of my journey I've had a lot of people I know actually start to learn so that's exciting for me not that I set out to be any kind of you know role model or anything but um, you know I do have a leadership role in our union performers union uh, and I consider that a really good platform to use the real Māori and to take that overseas when I have to go and you know, present at things overseas. Back, back at that kururail, um, at, at what point did you kind of go, ah, I'm... Oh, I'm... Um, I don't think it was, there was one particular point, but I can compare it, make a comparison when I think of the very first kurareo, which was a five-day language school that I went on. Um, Ngāti Raukawa have a uh, kurareo every year. Um, well, there's two, one in Ōtaki and one in... Um, in uh, Tokoroa and I went to my first one while I was still at my night class once a week and I went oh yeah I'm going to just challenge myself and I I can sit in a 
an immersion environment for five days. Wow. Oh, my lordy. That was just, you know, my shoulders were like concrete at the end of five days because I was straining to just, no, please let me understand one word. And I'm sure those teachers went, who is this person who's come along? Because everyone else were teachers and people doing refresher courses and people who work for the government. And there was this, you know, actor that come along, wasn't connected to anything but a, but a night class. Um, but anyway, that was 2011, and then I went back in 2014 and just sat much more comfortably. So I guess in those years, and particularly from that year of immersion, I think I just felt much more comfortable. I understood. You suddenly realize you're actually understanding 90% of what you're hearing. I remember at one point in a class that we had, Te Wananga, somebody coming and talking about... Uh, kind of like the the beginning of the world, if you like, looking at the letter R and the letter O, and together they make the word R, which is world. But I suddenly got this realisation of the depth of this language at what was contained within each word. So um, you're not just on a language journey then, are you? You're on a cultural yes. journey. Yes, you can't well. actually separate them. You actually, you know, tikanga and nareo, they go, they, they hold hands all the way through. So something that just began as a journey into the process of acquiring the language has become something a lot bigger? Definitely. It, it's even, it makes itself felt in all sorts of occasions. For instance, if we have a visitor come over from Australia to, to talk to us or something, I would never let that meeting just start without actually welcoming that person and acknowledging where they've come from and that they're here now, all of us together, what we're here for, acknowledging the kaupapa and, you know, letting the meeting start. I love that kind of formality. It makes the person feel welcome. It's, you know, manakitanga. And they, we can go on, all of us together, with a, a feeling of a, you know, a common purpose. This is in your role as... as um, uh, President of Equity New Zealand, yeah, yeah. that's right, yeah. Redi huana te redi hua o te piwari. Hai pū noa, kua tohu arane e te wā. Ko te arafiu i te nunumi. For Jennifer, another unexpected byproduct of immersing herself in Tao Māori has been a much deeper knowledge of her own family ties to New Zealand. I know more about my whakapapa, about my ancestors who came here and, and before they came here, now through my journey into Te Reo Māori than I ever knew before. I had stories from the family, you know, snippets. But part of our uh, learning process was to find out about our, our boats. I didn't have a waka, one of the seven waka, but all of my people came here on boats, so I started researching those. And then um, I found out exactly where the, the Turners arrived in and then where they went to... Whangaroa and then this is your ancestor. Yes, Takayo, and they were these. He was the second Wesleyan missionary up there in 1823. So they they lived 
up there and um, just near the Urupa, the cemetery in Kaio. So you'll see Turner Street there and that's where the Wesleydale, the, the mission house was. So, oh, and then they moved to Hokianga to the Manganu mission house. And my cousin and I did a journey up there to follow the their footsteps, to walk on the land that they'd walked on. And it was a very profound experience for us and to walk into the house that they lived in. And I would not have had that experience. I don't think I would have been so hungry to know about it had I not been working within this, in te ao Māori and the way you actually honour your ancestors and, and that they are a part of who you are and, you know, is. What's that process like when you're kind of connecting in a more meaningful way? So when we got to Hokianga, to Manganu, and we stood at the gate, and I'm thinking, this is exactly where my ancestors stood. It's me and my cousin. And walked up there, and there was a wonderful guide up there. And we started telling him. We were the only ones there, so we walked through the house, and we found his photo. And then um, we sat out the front and started talking to her and said why we were here. And she said, oh, wait a minute. Went out the back. And there were a whole lot of reference books out the back, sort of lying on what was the kitchen out there. And went into another room and came back with a book, which was the Turner family history and all of the family tree. So I'm reading it. I'm going, oh, my God. And then I find my grandmother's name. And then I find my mother's name. And by this stage, the, you know, the tears are rolling down both our cheeks. And, and I said, oh, we need to update this. And she said, take it away and update it and send it back. And that was a, there aren't copies of those things, but she absolutely understood how important that was. So we brought it home, updated it, so it's right through to my children and my sister's children and my all my cousins, and then we sent it back with that page. So maybe in 50 years, somebody else from the far know will go up there and go, I want to know a little bit more about this, and then they'll see, and it won't be so hard to update. So in that way... I feel much more connected to to this land. Tell me about that guy. What else do you know about uh, him? Well, you know, they followed the call of their church to come out and do this, arrived with a six-month-old. Didn't see another Pākehā for... She didn't see another Pākehā woman for probably three years. But then around 1827, Hongiheke was on the move. There was a lot of unrest up there. And they ended up having to get out of the mission. Basically, the mission was sacked. His name was Nathaniel? Nathaniel Turner. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and he uh, was a Te Reo speaker? Oh, yes. Yeah, in fact, um, yes, he, he composed a couple of, of hymns in Te Reo Māori. And uh, well, they had to. If you want to make anything happen, you have to speak Te Reo Māori. There's no Pākehā around it, and, except for the people that you're with in the house. So uh, I think there's a proverb somewhere that says uh, we stand on the shoulders of our ancestors. So there's, yeah. a, there's a little bit of that going yeah, on. Yeah, I do. I think I, I, I'm not the first one, that's what I think, to, to learn te reo Māori. I'm getting the sense that you feel enriched. I do. And I, I kind of felt embarrassed that I didn't know te reo Māori. It's like living in a street called Aro Street all my life, no, you know, from 11 to 17, and never thinking, 
of anything but Arrow Street, living in Marama Crescent and never thinking of anything but Marama Crescent, going up to my grandparents in Karori or Karori, and it seems such a shame that that those things have been, I don't know, the beauty of them has been somewhat denied. One of the big challenges in acquiring a language is making sure it sticks. Regular meetings of Māori speakers, like this one in the upper room of a pub in central Auckland, are crucial ways of keeping the language alive. Tonight, a group of them are playing a word game. We have a group called Kapa Kōrero and we meet once a month just for conversation and we might play some games or whatever the kaupapa of the evening is. It's very relaxed. Um, everyone is welcome who wants to come and sit and you know be in the be in the Māori language, be surrounded by it, even if you're a beginner. So we really welcome anybody who's interested in coming along. And, uh, and then they're obviously friends of mine and we only communicate in te reo Māori. So if I see a few friends, actor friends or musician friends who are Māori, we'll only communicate in, in te reo. I'm the happiest if someone comes up to me and says, hey, I've just started my reo journey at a night school fantastic great go forth and learn and see what a beautiful world opens up to you what's it been like for you uh, as a as a as a mature adult <laughs> i well i thank goodness for my actor's brain which is used to learning new stuff all the time uh and it's been quite well exercised over the last 35 40 years doing that kind of stuff so you know when you're doing a play you're literally holding a book in your head the difference of course is once you finish the play you can let the book go with this um i just need to keep practicing all the time and that's really why i'm always seeking out people to talk to and i have my friend joe we we only speak maori to each other uh, te reo maori to each other and and all my friends who i've made through classes and and wananga that's all you do. So I go and study every Monday night. It's you only speaking to Reo Māori, all the way out in the car, all the way back. Uh, I might choose another hour or two a week to, to learn some waiata or send an email to somebody. Or There's not a week that goes by where I'm not doing something in the Reo, whether it's responding to a text, writing an email, listening to something. I often have the TV Māori television going on in my office, just in the background so I can hear it all the time. You've got kids. What's their take on? Partnering? I think they're remarkably accepting of everything myself and my husband do. You know, we've been actors for. <laughs> they've had parents for actors, so nothing really surprises them um, that we're learning something new. Um, and they, oh, they're remarkably sanguine about it. Um, probably my younger, I would speak a little bit more Māori to than my older boy, but I'm, I would say something and then I'll just repeat it in in um, Te Reo Pākehā. Or I'll just say it and point at the thing, use my body language too. So, uh, and my husband started learning too. Had, had you wished uh, for Te Reo Māori for them? Uh, have they had? I wish they had it as young young children more. Mm. I wish I wish that it had been that had a, a class or 
two or three a week, one every day. That's what I wish. Because their brains are like little sponges. It's the best time to learn a language. Daily life stuff, Jennifer. I mean, how um, how much uh, how much of what you've learnt rubs off onto just the things you do? All sorts of things. Well, I find myself just even if I'm teaching or something, I just will be throwing in little bits of the deal. Uh, whether I'm saying, you know, come close, everybody, or sit down, or stand up, or um, okay, you know, be quiet, or um, right, let's focus on this. All, all that kind of stuff, and everybody understands what, what I'm saying, even if they don't you know, understand what I'm saying. They totally get it. A few of us get together and have a little study group, and before we start that, we always have a little karakia, uh, and we also have a karakia at the end, too. It's a nice way of sort of sealing, uh, opening up to the work, and then putting a nice lid on it and saying, there, that's done. Do you get a sense sometimes that um, it's it's not your culture? Of course, and it's not my culture. Um, I'm profoundly grateful to be welcomed into it, to experience it. But no, it's not my culture. But if I'm in a in a any kind of formal situation. It's my job to just listen. You know, I don't need to put myself forward and go, hey, I know how to speak Māori or whatever, you know. Um, we go on a noho marae every month at the moment as part of our wānanga um, course. And that just feels totally normal because we all know what it is like to be on the marae and we all know how we, you know, this group's going to do the the washing up and this group's going to clean up the whare and that we all have a karaki in the morning and there's a very um, ritualistic aspect to it that we all understand and nobody speaks anything but the reo. So that just is very easy and normal and my being a Pākehā has no bearing on it. E korea mate tamarahi he kaiwā tau i te pō. Koe heria nei koe e ngā heri o te kupu, ake, ake. E hā tonu te waha, e kite tonu te karu, ka ora tonu tēnei, e mauri ora ai koe. It's perhaps inevitable that since she gained fluency in te reo, Jennifer is beginning to use the language in her work. She's recently started doing voice work for a series on Māori TV. When I, when I started out, I never thought, well, I, I didn't consciously do it in any way, for work but gradually though, of course those two roads have started meeting and it might be that whether you know directing a workshop of a Māori playwright or going and watching a play in, in te reo I, I hope that at some stage I'll be able to perform in te reo or, and direct uh, that would be really great for me but you know waikahua waikatohu don't know what's going to happen in the future. We'll wait and see. When, it, when the time's right, you know, I'm sure that that will come to fruition. And, and that's starting to happen. You can you can find mm. performances in Te Reo Māori now? Uh, yes, there's still few and far between. But, yeah, we a whole group of us went to one the other night at Te Pou. It's wonderful. You talked about it as a, a language that you were drawn to um, as a young person. 
Can you explain why it works so well? The vowel sounds, how they sit in your mouth. It's very expressive language. If you want to swear in Māori, it's really great. <laughs> it's all the sort of dicks and dives that you have in nature, the sounds of nature, the sounds of the birds. Uh, it's language taken from te taiao, the natural world around you. That comes through in the language. When you say who you are these days, how do you say that? How do you express I would say where my ancestors came from and where I was born. Yeah. So I acknowledge those who came before me and where I live now and where I was born. But, but, um. I don't say that I'm Ngati Pākehā. Why not? I don't know. I've just never felt quite right about that. It's not that I think Pākehā is a bad word. Uh, but there's more to me than Ngāti Pākehā. There's a you know German ancestry, there's an Irish ancestry, there's a Scottish ancestry. Māori go forward in the world with their ancestors in front of them, not behind them. And so it's important that you know where you came from, so you know where you're going to. And you've achieved that via this... Language immersion? I, I've, I feel like I know a lot more. I'm a lot more connected to my ancestors, absolutely. This hasn't stopped with, um, with eight years and immersion. Oh, oh, no, and I'm still just, a, I'm just an intermediate. There's a lot I can't articulate yet in the language, and I may never be able to. I haven't reached a point where I go, right, ha-ha, now I know that our money. Well, no, no, I won't. I won't even know it when I'm on my deathbed. As part of our course at Te Wānanga Waotearoa, uh, Te Pinakitanga is the name of the course, We uh, one of our sections is on waiata and haka. So learning all about the different styles of waiata and haka. Our assignment was to write something. I was thinking about um, how every opening night, no matter how many you've done, and I've probably you know, done 110 plays or so, there's always that sense of nervousness before you go on the stage and uh, trepidation. And so this is a little kind of a waiata uh, to encourage the performer. So it's called E Pau Torea. <laughs> 